podcast is the extracted audio from our recent DBIS Primary Phase Wellbeing webinar, recorded on the 31st of August 2021. Joining me on the call are Anna Christensen, our Deputy Head of Primary, and I am Jason Broderick, the Head of Wellbeing here at Discovery Bay International School. We hope you find this podcast informative, and please listen until the end to find out how you can reach out to us should you have any questions about the topics we discuss. Thank you, and check back soon for future wellbeing podcasts. I think uh, in, in regards for the protocols of tonight's meeting, if we are just aware of what we're here to do, we're looking at what is DBIS wellbeing and sharing what we're developing at school, the idea of as we move forward, what we are implementing within the uh, classrooms, uh, we see that there'll be a great benefit of our families being very aware of what we do and what we say, uh, because if we work on a triangulated approach, we see that just strengthening all of our processes. So we're going to look at uh, what have our staff been looking at throughout all phases, actually, but specifically in primary. Um, without doubt, your input is valued for us, uh, making our well-being provision more effective as we move through. And we understand that there may be different opinions and ideas as we go throughout the session. And we'll be here respecting each other's viewpoints. Uh, the session will be recorded to be able to assist the rest of our community that uh, weren't able to make it for this evening's uh, session. I think it's a little bit different because there's a couple of us, but um, you know, obviously with questions, if we can just sort of choose the timing um, in, in regards. And I think this is only the four of us the, form, the the approach can be uh, a bit more uh, intimate and we can sort of answer each question as it rises. If I don't know the answer, I'll be honest and uh, let you know, but without a doubt, I'll always come back to you with the information. So uh, looking at workshop one. So, you know, want to really clarify what is well-being at DBIS. And as we've gone on our journey over the last number of years, we've really started to bring facets together throughout the school and specifically in primary, well-being is beyond social and emotional care only in development. But we look at areas of character and culture, and I'll go that, into that in a lot more detail this evening. We have child protection and safeguarding, and the process is there. A huge part of it is our Learning for Life curriculum, and there is also the pastoral provision, so the care and guidance from each classroom teacher and each leadership I've got someone wanting to admit themselves in, so I just need to come out of this screen here. There we go, brilliant. So we've got four areas when we talk about well-being at DBAS, as we really start to concrete our, our definition of what we do and how we do it. As always, since my time in the role and leadership, we've come together to engage throughout the school that we wanted to create a framework that was not reacting, but responding. And through, re uh, through research, we realized that the best approach was a preventative approach. And when we talk about preventative, we talk about the idea that we are allowing our young people through to young adults and staff the knowledge before life experiences may occur. The experiences that many of us as an adult have been through. But we want to be able to make sure that our young people are in a position that when such life experiences happen socially and emotionally, this could be throughout primary school, friendships, um, etc., that they have the knowledge of how to prevent themselves from being in a period of distress. Instead of the traditional idea of something's gone wrong, so let's cure it. So we look at that, strengthening the foundations of our young people through to young adults. And we do that with our staff, too, by providing them with the necessary training where appropriate. We're underpinned by the pillars of uh, the positive psychology approach uh, based on Martin Seligman's work. And we cover the six areas uh, that you see in front of you. This is a development that we have intertwined throughout the different areas of the curriculum, mainly through uh, not only the Learning for Life, but throughout all units of inquiry, but also too, as we will continue to talk this evening, the way in which our teachers uh, approach our young people in moments of conflict or, 
or curiosity uh, so that we all feel valued and we all have an understanding of why we're there and we continue our meaning and purpose as we go through. So we've done a lot of work on this area before in the past and there are workshops recorded online under the wellbeing link. I've got someone else wanting to come, forgive me. I'll admit them. Okay, so we've done some work on this area before. Uh, there are workshops recorded online in our Wellbeing Hub that can explain this a little bit more with some great links to develop this. Uh, and this underpins our approach as well. But importantly, as we've developed on this journey, we don't just look at learning for life as the only area where we assist with that prevention. We recognize that the child has an enormous amount of external factors as they go throughout our schooling system at DVIS. And we do it in a two uh, approach. This is one of them, developing that awareness with our community. But our major one is within the school system, allowing our young people to understand that them is an individual has so many different environmental systems that they're involved in. And this is the work of Brof and Brenner, uh, that some of you may have discovered throughout your uh, journeys as well. But he looks, well, throughout his research, he identified that as a person, whether we are a young person or an adult, there are many external uh, environment factors that assist us to becoming the person who we will become and currently who we are can have an effect on us. So we develop that understanding as our young people move throughout school in their phases as well, and we encourage them. We encourage them to uh, approach these different areas. For example, you know, beyond our family and our school and our peers, if we look right out the far circle of the macro system, you know, we start to explore the impact that the media has on us, government and policies, our environment, whether that be physical, uh, economic issues and cultural values, how they affect us as well as an individual. And you can see that some of those systems will happen throughout the older phases. And the necessity to be able to interweave throughout these systems as well. And this also too is very important for our communication with our families, that we have an understanding of how our young person is outside of school too, as this assists an understanding of sometimes what we'll talk about tonight, some of the behaviors that we see presented. So we work in what is a whole child approach and traditionally could be seen as a triangulated approach, being able to communicate this information. As we move forward in our approach to uh, well-being at school, we're developing a shared language, shared language when it comes to being able to identify emotions, uh, regulation of these emotions. And as we have been recently throughout term one, throughout actually all phases, developing uh, an approach of language when it comes to conflict and resolution. Uh, in regards to point three, so why we're here tonight. Because a big part of our process is articulating what we're doing within the school, why we do it, so we can have that process clear and also to have the opportunity to discuss the why that some of us may have depending on our own, um, own environments. So we're going to look more to what we've been doing in school lately now. Uh, that first part was really our foundations of what is DBIS while being at school, you know, and, and that's really to answer those questions. It's like, well, what, are, what do they do in regards to well-being at DBIS? You know, it's more than just offering uh, that, that pastoral care that possibly is seen as the, 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 the number one identifier of what we do. So we have those four areas um, that we are continually developing, continually um, strengthening as we move through. But let's have a look at what is that aspect of character and culture for the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes. We're going to look at the shared language and approach that we do within the primary phase in regards to when we see low to moderate behaviours that could probably be strengthened. Okay, and you can already probably notice my language that I use could be strengthened instead of, um, you know, be reprimanded by. And what does that look like? What does strengthening or improving um, low to moderate behaviours that could be better? And how do our young people know in regards to being able to identify what they have done and, and why uh, this could possibly be changed? And the language we use to do that and what we model is often what we receive. So 
a lot of development around our staff that the way that they model themselves is often seen as what is acceptable. And we've been getting that mindset across. And, and we'll look at that too, is how that can uh, maybe assist us in our approach to parenting. So what is DBIS character and culture? It's got five areas that you can see in front of you. Number one, that we continually always, I've got someone wanting to join the meet, forgive me. So we have five areas, and uh, you know we've developed number two quite a bit over the last uh, two, three, two to three years in primary with these zones of regulation seen throughout the school, uh, and a number of other, other visible cues. These can be things such as the assemblies that Mrs. Christensen runs, and uh, opportunities with house leadership and school council, relationships. You know, relationships on all levels, student to student, student to staff, staff to staff, staff to parent, parent to students, okay, and parent to parent at times. We look at the environment that we provide, and this is looking beyond, uh, you know, the physical environment. It's also to the untangible. Is it the intangible? The one that we can't measure, that feeling that when we walk into a room, we get an idea, you know, how that is assisted by possibly the, the physical environment too. We see that within uh, education as being the third teacher, the environment. And uh, you've probably seen, for those of you that have been part of our DBS community for a number of years now, you know, subtle changes within the um, color of the Hessian on the walls and the, 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 the particular attention to the calming nature within some of the classrooms. And as we continue to spread that throughout the school, this will be a big one that we'll look at tonight, the common language that we've developed as a staff and maybe how you might take opportunities from what we discussed to take into your home. Um, and we're going to briefly touch on the behaviour management system that we encourage students to take ownership of their actions. And this is a, a, a removal away from that traditional punitive system where a young person is given a, um, a consequence uh, regardless of the the why the why one may be behaving in such ways so we're really looking at that why are we seeing these behaviors which leads us into a lot to do with how we see behavior at school uh, and maybe many of us see that it's a form of communication and a lot of it has to do with the language we use and the tone of that voice and i used an example with staff four simple words what are you doing and you can imagine just the tone of that. What are you doing compared to what are you doing has a different outcome. So we use that simple, simple uh, example because one thing that we do know is that children from all cultures and backgrounds, and I believe, Ms. Christensen, I think it was 44 nationalities we last had, correct? That's right, yes. Yeah. So what we know is that these children, regardless of, uh, their home country or where they're born, they all learn how to behave by constantly being told what not to do and be given commands or instructions. All right, traditionally, it's not in all of our family environments, not at all, but traditionally throughout all these different cultures and backgrounds, that is one of the commonalities. Being told what to do and being given a command or instruction. And there are times where that is appropriate and it is necessary, especially if we look at safety of the child. So we're not saying that there isn't the time for that. What we're saying is, are there opportunities where we can change our language to still get across the same message? Because what actually happens when that adult is no longer there? Or that adult that was in the classroom context, therefore that year becomes a different adult the next year. Do they actually change their behaviors or have they just modified their behaviors to be able to work around the adult in front of them? And have they been given the opportunity to explore a better choice? Do they know that there is a better choice or is it that they just realize that they shouldn't do this or that? So this whole idea in our staff training within primary is like maybe we need to move away from reaction and create a constructive interaction. But how do we do that? Often at times where there is conflict and a 
you know, the times where maybe both people involved have heightened emotions. So at our school, within each classroom, throughout whatever role um, our staff work in, this is actually throughout all phases, but we're going to specifically be primary here. We do a three-step process. When we see particular behaviours not correlating to the learner profile, and a lot of the people that are in the, in the discussion here may have come across the learner profile in past uh, discussions with other people with throughout the school. We can go into that a little bit more later. But when we see a, a behavior that could be a better choice given, for example, in the classroom context, remember we're talking here, a young person is talking while the teacher is trying to instruct. I'm going to just welcome this person into our wonderful discussion. When a, a young person may be talking while an adult or another student is trying to instruct, the adults in the room will acknowledge this. And this could be just a reminder. Someone's talking, nice and quiet, or it could be a nonverbal, a nod to the student, just, as, just to allow them to know that the, the, their behaviour at that time has caught the adult's attention. And we do our best to keep it at this stage. We're still providing an environment that's welcoming and learned. If we see, for example, that that young person continues to disrupt by talking to others while there is someone trying to instruct student or teacher, the teacher of the room or the staff member, depending on the circumstance, will give a clear verbal caution privately. Okay, and the privately is really important. The reason why we do it privately is so that we don't cause shame to our young people. We don't want to bring shame to any of our young people. We don't want to draw attention to them in a negative light. So a caution verbal, uh, a caution privately wherever possible, but it's really important that we, as adults in our classrooms and throughout the school, make the student aware of the behavior that they're doing and then clearly outline the responses if they continue. So what will happen if they continue to do this? And why do we do that? Why do we not just go straight to the traditional command, right, or the instruction? could easily be, be quiet, Jason. You're talking when the other student is talking. You know, that's a traditional type of approach that some of us may have received in, within, our, within our time within education. Maybe some of us may have received such a such particular manner tone within our own work environment. Because we believe at our school, as we develop our culture, in our character of our young people, that we need to give an opportunity of ownership to the young person to be able to make the choices about their own next choice. So we've got to remember, within the same discussion, we've given them the options as well. And we've also allowed them to now take ownership of making one of those choices. So we are assisting them and guiding them towards being able to modify their current behavior. And then the third step, if they continue to do this, will be a conversation. And that conversation, once again, will be done in a manner where the student isn't highlighted, but it'll be done in a manner where the teacher or staff member, right, because uh, staff throughout the school, EAs, TAs, have been trained in this approach, will have a quick chat at break time, or maybe it needs to be a more formal meeting. Now, the arc is how we refer to this. And just nice and quick, we acknowledge it. We acknowledge what's happening, verbal or nonverbal, nice and quietly. We may need to remind our student, during that time, we give them the options of a better choice. We allow them to have that information. We allow them to be able to explore that. And then we allow them time to be able to make it. They take ownership of it. They can see why they might need to change whatever. And if that's not the choice, we have a conversation. And that will be the stage that maybe it is with other people. So that's the arc, and that's part of our current approach to character and culture. And we've been looking at staff to think, is there a better way with staff, working with staff, is there a better way to give ownership to the students? You know, we've looked at examples of instead of saying, be quiet, could be such scripts such as this. I noticed you're talking when I'm trying to teach the class. So this is that, that 
remind stage. Remember, acknowledge, verbal or non-verbal. Verbal. I'm in that remind stage. Why is it important that we listen? Can we use a softer tone inside? I'm handing this ownership back to the student. Instead of, instead of telling a child what to do, what they should do. It was the misunderstanding about our expectation we have about whatever it is, for example, lining up, staying on task, that has caught my attention. And I love this one. Can I give you some information to assist you? You know, it's too easy to just say, get on with your task. Why are you not finishing your work? We're allowing the young person to take ownership of their next choice. And this last one, and I know this is a favorite of Mrs. Christensen, instead of criticizing a child's behavior in a negative tone, you know, think of a time when that same individual was providing us with evidence of a, a behavior that's appropriate that relates to our learner profile. Do you remember last week, Jason, when you were helping out with the other students and making sure that they were ready to leave? Now, that is the Jason who I need to see today. Right? So I'm bringing them back to an experience where it has been a positive, allowing them to know that they can be this particular person and providing them with the opportunity to do so instead of get back in line, line up with everybody else, and keep your mouth closed. Now, we wouldn't have that language within our school anyway. I'm exaggerating the point. But I know that all of us have experienced whether we were a recipient or whether we were a bystander to people being spoken to in such ways and people speaking to young people in such ways. So what I want us to do now is start coming into, like we've been, we just spent the last sort of 10 minutes be given this, all this information and this awareness. I'm just going to allow someone else into our meeting. There we are. You know, we spent this last sort of 10 minutes looking at uh, what we've been doing in regards to training the staff and developing that shared language towards our character and culture. But I want us to do some work together. I want you to take an opportunity to think of the last disagreement you had with your child. Maybe children. Maybe you were a bystander to someone else having a disagreement with your child. I want you to just take a moment to read through the questions. And just internally respond to them. Now, if we go back to one of the statements that we made just a little bit earlier on one of the slides, and it says, you know, the, the, the model, I'll flip back to it to make it a little bit easier for us. What we model is often what we receive. Is it a positive outcome? Do you feel whatever created that disagreement, developed that disagreement, you were understood as the adult? Were they heard as the young person? And did both of you feel valued and respected after you left that disagreement? Because our young people learned the integral foundations of how to handle conflict and resolution by their mums or their dads or their caregivers that they spend most of their time with, depending on family context. The second is our staff at this age. And it's so valuable that if we can strengthen this foundation with our young people, that when they experience conflict, because conflict is part of developing relationships, that they can get to a point of resolution where they feel understood, they were heard, and that both people felt valued and respected. When you had that disagreement, do you have tools in your parenting toolkit of what to say? 
do we allow our young people to have ownership of their choices throughout day-to-day family life as we are developing within the school? But maybe we do, or maybe we don't. We're all on different parts of the parenting spectrum, depending on our own experiences and our own continual development as self. So we're going to have a look at some possible options, and then we're going to spend a little bit of an opportunity being able to think about what we might be able to say in certain scenarios, if it works for you. As we start to develop that opportunity to be able to support or model what our young people are receiving in school. So this is generally what happens, you know, when it comes to this moment of conflict. You know, we start around here. I don't know if you can see my arrow moving around. Mrs. Christensen, can you see it? Cursor? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Cool. All right. So over here, we've got the adult response. And then we've got the young person's response. Calls a child. I'm changing my jargon a little bit. I always say young person or young adult. You know, generally speaking, the adult is the one, you know, at this particular age that wants some form of compliance because they're seeing some form of a behaviour um, that maybe isn't displaying the family values. You know, in the school, in the school, it's not displaying the learner profile values. Okay, so we can see those similarities there. They demand compliance. Both the young person resists. Anger turns into the surveillance. The adult comes in with some sanctions. Still coercing. The young person rebels. The adult, heightened of emotion conflict, administers punishment. Even better, though, if that punishment, if that's what we're calling it, has uh, some shared some shared negotiation with our young people. But in most cases, no, it's not the case. Right? And I've done some workshops there before about developing family values and, and developing what that looks like. But let's pretend in this situation, they administer a punishment. You know, Your phone's gone for the week or your computer can't be used for, two, for, for the next two weeks. Some of us say you're grounded for a year, right, in regards to maybe a behavior that doesn't, doesn't actually uh, require that type of response. The young person retaliates. Then, you know what we do? We escalate that punishment. It's no longer two weeks. It's four weeks. And I don't like your bad attitude. And by now, the young person is just escaping, whether that's internally or physically, okay? And, and that's, generally speaking, that process towards conflict. At times in our lives, this is going to happen. But how do we maybe develop around this particular point here an opportunity for this young person to understand that they have options that they can take ownership of? So how do we give them these options so that they have achievable choices for seeking control? Because it's one of those three aspects in life, regardless of what stage, we want autonomy. And part of autonomy is having control. It's it's an internal motivator. So how do we allow them to know that, yes, we are the parent, and a lot of the things we do is to set them up for uh, having the values that we believe are going to be the cornerstones for their life. And then also, too, you know, that the, depending on how we see parenting, you know, being able to then to know that they're the young person or the young child and we are the adult. So how do we hand over that control in difficult situations when what you want is compliance? Now we're removing the, you know, the, 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 the aspects of safety. You know, a young person's walking near the road and you know that that road's very busy. You're not going to be sitting there having a shared language of, is there a better option, right? You see them walking and not looking. You're going to be shouting out a command and an instruction. That's acceptable. But then you'll have a different discussion after that. So, you know, let's not, let's not lead our mind towards... Uh, these particular examples where, oh, I just can't use an option. We're looking at these everyday ones. And I'm going to give us some scenarios very soon. 
And then how does this assist self-regulation? Because as our young people go from childhood into uh, adolescence into adulthood, if they can have that foundation of how to self-regulate, because we all experience heightened emotions, which a lot of us see as a red zone, anger, right? Uh, disappointment, rejection. If we're able to you know, build build these tools with, internally within our young people, then they start taking ownership. And then they grow into an adult that doesn't look to blame, but looks to be able to try and problem solve. So, you know, some some scripts you might want to use. And we're going to use some scenarios soon where maybe we, we can do some sharing on the chat. You know, we're in a situation where we need our young people to move on. And in this case, it's because you're busy and you need to go get that fairy because the fairy is leaving in about 15 minutes and, you know, it takes you a good 10 to get down there. But yet the young person's still playing. And you've already told them twice, move on, we need to go. How about the first time? Just say something along these lines. I understand that you want to keep playing because it's fun. But it's time to tidy up because we need to leave. So what would you like to do? Help with the blocks or put away the water toys. And you can change those around. You know, if we come back to this slide, what am I doing? I'm offering them choices. And they then feel in control. Instead of feeling as though they don't have a choice and they just have to hurry up and put everything away, we still have an outcome that's similar. Obviously, there's a lot to do with the tone and the language that we've already talked about. What about seeing a behavior you don't want to see? And this is generally in regards to that absent-mindedness that sometimes we see our young people doing, right? Or, or that uh, ignorance of other people in social constructs. You know, quite often we'll see someone holding a gate open as they're coming through and our young people will just walk straight through, oblivious to the fact that there was an adult holding it, right? You know, I would like, to, I would like you to walk so that you don't slip and hurt yourself or run into someone around a corner. So we're telling them the reason why there. We're explaining. Because I could easily say, you know to wait or don't run. But I go back to that whole idea of like, I'm just telling them to don't run. Do they understand that they might slip, that they might hurt themselves? We know as an adult because we're an adult. And we might have told them three weeks ago, but they're a young person. So do we offer them that opportunity to know why? in our explanation. And the last one, which we'll all be involved in at some time, you know, hitting and hitting or kicking or pinching or, or similar. And the, the following tip, hitting, kicking hurts. And I'm not going to allow you to do this. I understand you're upset. And if you need to hit something, well, we'll find another way to uh, manage that emotion. And I'm here to help you. So you're being very clear on what's acceptable and unacceptable, but you're not just leaving them there to figure it out. Because it is an emotion that we're experiencing when it comes to physical behavior, frustration, uh, rejection, envy, all generally come out across with physical behavior, many more emotions too. But we want to allow them to resonate that with their emotions. So. In the following scenarios, I want you to take a moment to think about why do you think this behavior might be being displayed if it was your young person? What might they be trying to communicate with me? And we started talking about being able to identify an emotion, right? The, the behavior is communication. But we want to be able to identify the emotion because then we can assist with the strategies. Ownership. You are feeling this. What do you think we could do to assist that? And self-awareness, how can you guide your child and allow them to take ownership? And I say this because, you know, instinctually at this age, I think instinctually at any age, my, my, my eldest daughter is 24, you know, our young people feel pain and we see that or a particular behavior we resonate with and we want to protect them. So we take ownership of what they're experiencing. 
But as a result of that, do they actually grow and develop? Now, I'm not saying here that we just leave them alone and they get on with it, right? I mean, if we've been here and we're looking at these stages, they're scaffolding there, like uh, I believe it's, you know, the, developing the scaffolding between where they are at and where we know that they need to reach. But how do we guide them there so that they just don't explore? And then once again, coming back four or five slides ago, how do we model that so that they see that this is a better way forward because it relates to our family values and it develops the young person that, you know, if I ever asked you what do you want your child to become, you would have a picture of that. And this is part of allowing them to become that. So here we go. Let's look at some of these scenarios. And we might want to use the chat here. Or if we're brave enough, we could develop a, a, an opportunity where people are most welcome to take the moment to read it and then come across on the microphone. So your children are bored and keep telling you that they are. You know, what's the response that you could use? That they take ownership. For the third time this week, your child has left their belongings strewn across the living room floor. What could you say? What could your tone be? What could your body language be that allows them to take ownership? Your child comes home, and this is a big one that we're going to come back to and, and, and develop a bit more. Your child comes home from school and tells you that no one wants to play with them. Oh, that's fine. Let's take a couple of minutes just to think about, like, coming back to what sort of script might I use? What would my tone be? How could I communicate this? I'm going to come out of this one. Please feel free to use the chat function down here if you want to offer some suggestions. Or maybe you want to turn on your microphone and say which number you've been thinking about and how you think you would uh, approach that. I'm just going to leave you some time to think about it first. Right. Let's have a look at number one. Does anybody want to comment how they would approach number one? Maybe something that they would say? I'll be brave and jump in. Thank you. Um, for the first one, it's a daily occurrence, it feels, hourly over the summer, obviously. Um, and our, sorry, excuse the background, um, current, uh, my current approach, which has mixed results, is to provide a list of suggestions, mm. all of which are practical, can be done, etc. But usually, unfortunately, it doesn't sort of involve mum or dad to be involved because we're um, usually working. So that often is where it sort of falls down. They're actually looking for someone to do it with, which is usually my sign that they've come to me because they want me to be involved. Right. So, so mixed, unfortunately, mixed results with that approach. Can I, so it's not a good one. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but, Elizabeth, can we come back to the first bit that you have a list of ideas? Now, is that list of ideas uh, discussed? with them at another time when they're not bored? No. <laughs> it's mum's list. Mum's list, right. What, what you could be doing at this point. You could yep. go outside. You could jump on the trampoline. You could ride your bike. Yeah. You know, do the puzzles we bought. Yep. Do a drawing. It's. I mean, it's not things that they've never done um, or don't do, but um, usually ends up in, a, in an upset child that stomps out of the room because I've not suggested something that they really want to do. Yeah, the hang lens was pads away the lead. Yeah, so I, I think it's that whole idea of being able to develop that part of the list, right, because I, I think a lot of us would agree that um, that there'll be, there'll be parts of it where our young people will probably just choose some of the activities that we want to allow them to, uh, to move away from, i.e., I'll just go on the computer, right? <laughs> I'll, go, I'll, I'll go and jump on PlayStation Xbox. And we're not saying that that's not a choice that they could do. Um, but it's probably one that we probably, you know, if you're bored, 
It's not something that we want to be encouraging them to only have as the only choice. So I think a development there, and thanks once again, Elizabeth, for speaking out, um, that whole idea that we can negotiate those options with them because that starts to provide the ownership. And then, of course, present three or so of your um, options. And if, you know, for example, if there's one of those examples where a lot of them want to use, i.e. the games, the gaming sort of situation, you know, you can develop a system, a negotiated system. Well, if you do three or four of these for the next two hours, then you can have that for 25 minutes type of thing, right? So then they're getting these choices, and then they also have ownership and feel in control of being able to have the, the choice that they want. Just something, a food for thought. Um, does anyone want to, if you don't feel confident like coming across on the screen, feel free to use the chat function, just chat in there and, and develop that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you know just put it in there um what about number two i'm sure we've experienced this right you know depending on our situations uh you know <laughs> it, it's that day where you need a bit of rest and relaxation and and it seems to be that the house is a mess but you've already told them how, how can we develop that what sorts of things can we be saying there really trying to reframe isn't it what you would because you know what you would automatically go to say is pick them up <laughs> or right. it's not my job to do this and you sort of would that's just the almost like your instinctive response and it's almost having to think before you say think about how, what you're going to say and how you're going to say it so that you can get hopefully have a more positive experience and a more positive outcome oh. for the child and, and whether you have to do that if you think about the events of the day that might cause those elements of friction or or challenge for you as a family and think, OK, these these are the things that are often triggers. What's my script or what's my phrase that I can use when I'm not in that situation uh -huh. that I can then use? And I've almost got it up my sleeve and I'm ready to to share that. I don't know what you think about it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think the whole idea is having a toolkit of things that you can say that you've developed with the person that you're raising your children with, that this is how you guys will be approaching our young people when we are seeing behaviours that we don't feel correlates with the way our family works, so that they can feel that they are valued, heard and respected, and you're understood. Right. So this one here, you know, the key one here is like for the third time, if it's happened the third time, what's not being heard? Right. Can I give you some more information to why I want the clothing put away for why the, the, the toys need to be elsewhere? No. Oh, right. What then? Why is it still like this? If it continues to be like this, then let's go back to the, the responses that will happen. And whatever you've decided is a family that you refer to, and, I, and the families that I've worked with, you'll know what I'm talking about, that our young people are aware if certain things aren't carried out, that they understand what will happen, because the biggest thing that they do need is consistency, consistency, which stops that escalation. But the other one, too, is if it's the third time it's happened, what's happening before? What's always happening before? If you're always seeing the behavior happening and it's recycling, it's always like they, they seem to always leave the stuff in front of the door. And when I come home, I'm banging the doors out of the way. If that's happening again and again, look at the process before that. You know, are they aware of where it should be gone, where it should be going? Is that something that could be modified? So think with your adult perspective there. But I want to look at this one here, number three. Your child comes home from school and tells you that no one wants to play with them. What's your first reaction? Mm, thank you, Marina. Marina, I'm going to open this up. Heartbroken here. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, my kids, I'm going to read this out so we all understand. For number three, my kids constantly say that I usually ask them if they've tried to play with anyone, if they've asked other kids that they wanted to play, or if they just waited someone to ask them. I always tell them that they have to be involved and proactive, not be shy. So we're providing them with the information. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. I think that's step one, providing them with the information, providing them with choices. Now, I guess the next step is uh, 
do we develop that into a conversation with them? So which one are you going to be trying tomorrow? I look forward to hearing the results. And when they come home with the result, no one played with me again. Can you talk me through how that happened? Getting a really clear picture of them. Okay. Then this is a big one that I find at primary school age. A lot of times our young people want to spend time with others that don't want to spend time with them. Okay. No problem, Philippa. It's recorded and uh, without a doubt, please pick it up. You know, they don't want to spend time with them. So do you identify that emotion? Do you take the time to identify the emotion that they're experiencing? Because that's rejection. Right? Feeling left out. And that idea of being rejected is something that the sooner we can allow our young people to identify that emotion, the sooner we can start the next steps to be able to strengthen them, to be able to recognize the people that they wish to spend time with, not who they want to spend time with. People that will accept them for who they are, not for people that want them to change. Those are some really big concepts for a young person to be able to understand. But the development of that conversation comes from assisting them to not look at blame. And what I loved about the example there was that there was no blame. You know, if we look at that example there, it was no one about what did the other child do? What did the teacher do to help? This particular type of questioning was directing the young person to internalize. I love that. I love everything about that response because the, the, the opportunities that we give them to internalize from a young age, once again, I always say builds the right foundations because going into adulthood, I spent a lot of time throughout all different ages working with people one-to-one. -one, and a big part of that is not being able to identify rejection and always trying to fit in. So I want to spend a little bit more time on this and I, I realize I'm running out of time. <laughs> I love a good chat. I really, I'm passionate about what I do, um, but I need to keep moving through. Apologies. So let's go back to that first example that I got you to talk about for those of you that were online. And I want you to understand, you know, and this is a, this is a different perspective. This is changing. Where am I putting the spotlight on? Where's my lens looking at? Where's my perspective? And, and some of you are probably already reading. But you know, the idea that when we see behaviors at home and sometimes we see behaviors that we think oh my goodness where did that come from you know i think the good news is is that we need to recognize that our young person feels safe that they're able to be who they truly are uh, in that moment of the emotion that they're experiencing if your child is being difficult in front of you and not rude then as a comfort we should feel assured that they can express their distraught to us sorry about the uh the grammar and the the, the full stops there because the idea is that if you know if the lens is on the idea of that you are seeing this you get the opportunity to be part of assisting them because quite often we'll see certain behaviors like this only at school and if the behavior was only happening at school it become a symptom of a much bigger problem i think i've got a, a, a comment come through sorry i didn't see it Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's answer this concerning point three. Most of the time it's not true. Can they do to make us feel bad? Ah, right, because why I asked, did you play with X? Yes, did you play with Y? Yes, then it's not true as they played with their friends. Why they would say that? Okay, I'll come. So why, Marina, do you mean, I will come back to this example. I think this is a really valid point. Are you saying, am I hearing you right, that your young person will come home and say things that didn't happen? Is that correct? Okay, you know, I, I, in short, without knowing uh, your young person, quite often uh, the reason why some of our young people will maybe um, uh, elaborate on the truth uh, can be to, to get attention. Um, that could be a reason. It might not be the reason, Marina, but that's the reason why, why, why I think in this particular case, um, you know, to, some attention is better than, than – no attention, and I want attention, right? 
Um, now, I'm not saying that you don't give attention at all, but maybe they're wanting attention for some reason. And this could be something that we could develop further, and you're most welcome to reach out to me. But that's what came to my mind, first of all. I could be wrong, of course. Now, um, coming back to the, this one here. Now, if they uh, exp uh, do a lot of behaviours at school, this is a symptom of a much bigger problem. So the idea that you're seeing these behaviours, see it as that that young person has comfort around you, and that's huge. Now, uh, I, I know that that doesn't fix the problem, right, or, or assure you in this experience, because without a doubt, I know some of the behaviours that I have witnessed as a, as a dad, you know, somebody said to me, oh, you're lucky that they do that in front of you, would be like, Am I really? So um, but the idea is, is actually, it's just that our young person does not yet have the tools or the necessary tools. They may have been given the information, but they don't have the strategies to recall or call on those tools at a time when they're in a uh, hurt or their needs are being unmet. And there's a, there's a, there's a quick strategy that I'd like you to try. I've given you a lot of things to think about. The first step is we need to depersonalize the situation. The second time is we need to lead them out of it. And the third time is name, name the unmet need. Start to identify that emotion. And so let's go into a little bit more detail here. You know, no matter how personal the behavior may feel to you, know that it's not about you. It might be directed at you as they come out of the primary phase for those of you that have already got teenagers or older adults. You know that at times that the emotion conflict can heighten, can become a lot more personal. You know, that the slamming doors are just symptoms of a pain that they're experiencing at that time and nothing else. Now, one big thing, and I'm a big fan of Sam Harris, one big thing that he mentions is that every emotion comes and goes. But we have to understand when it's coming and when it's going and what to do when it's at its height. And we have to understand that the angry words that they say will trigger us as the recipient so we need to understand that in that situation, we don't allow ourselves to be heightened. We take a pause and we step back. Once we step back and we see that the emotion has started to ride itself out, and we only know that by developing that relationship in time, then we can be ready to re-engage. Now, this is when the real important stuff happens, coming right back to our AC and R, right? You've already acknowledged that something's not right. You've depersonalized it. Now you go into just that response, the remind. So what's happening? The body language, the tone is so important here. If our young person is in distress, we bring it to a, a level of calmness and we open a line of communication in a gentle leading way. Now remember, this can be something simple. It's just like, you know, right now, I think both of us are not in a, a, a state that we can have a good conversation. I'm going to go this way. You're going to stay here. We're going to talk about it later when we're both able to talk about it. Right away, you're modeling different ways. I understand how I'm feeling. I can't talk my best right now. I don't think you're going to be listening. I'm going to move away, right? It's a strategy. There's some other ones there too. The young person needs to be seen as who they are, to be acknowledged and included. Well, you probably already do this. And a big one, like I refer it back to friends. Because this is one of the biggest problems that our young people, biggest difficulties, it's part of a social development, right? Friendships. But we want to get them right. We want to get relationships right when they're, when they're at this age. Because it allows them to be able to not have to worry about these external concerns that can hold us back from becoming our best us. So you might ask questions like, it seems like you're feeling so distraught, you need to be seen as who you are. But, for example, when we come to, do you feel like one of your friends isn't meeting their needs? Okay, That's the idea. You can see that their friendship's causing what. So you need to listen to this response, but it's really important that you listen. You know, quite often we want to give the answer because we know the answer because we're an adult. But as a young person, it might be their first experience. So allow them to talk through, even if it feels like they're just rambling their thoughts. It's decluttering. What you're allowing them to do is declutter. So give compassion and judgment. If it's not the right time because you're very busy, be clear about that. You know, obviously, mindful is the language you use. Jason, I see that you're having a real difficult time right now. It's, it's 
it's something that's really important to me and I respect that. But can we have a talk about it and give it time and be there? You know, and then also give them time to calm down. And then we lead them out of it and then we help them name their unmet needs. And I want to be specific about the friend one because I think we will we'll, we'll all experience this one at some stage. It talks here a little bit about what I've also discussed. You know, we, we blame our external factors. Please just read through the slide as I talk. You know, quite often we look at what somebody else has done to us. It's quite natural, right? We look around, blame mum, dad, blame teachers, blame our friends, blame that we had to move, okay? So it's all external factors. But what we need to do is put them in a position, right? This is a big one, being excluded from party invitation. That hurts. That's rejection. But it's also belonging. And we can't leave this go unresolved. You know, if we brush these things off, they become like little blocks in their ability to be able to develop. So when a child is hurt or distressed and they have no idea of how to reconnect with those around them, our first concern is to help them. Whatever difficulties they're experiencing, we need to make sure that we can hand that ownership over to them and assist them through and give them options and choices, but get them to identify how they are feeling. Label that emotion. They don't have the vocabulary to label the emotions for some of them. I'm being very general here. Some of our young people are, are, are very aware. So when they come to you next time, you know, the, the, the next discussion is already there. Dad, I'm feeling rejected. I just came back from school. Johnny handed out 12 invitations. I thought we were mates. I never got one. Right away, you know he's feeling rejected. And all of a sudden, you're not trying to control it. What can we do about that, son? It's not nice to be rejected at all. Tell me more. Don't try to own it. Allow them to own it. Allow them to experience it. Give them other choices. So, you know, I, I'm touching on that hour right now, but a bit of food for thought, you know. Also, too, can I say something without saying anything at all? Am I sometimes saying too much without saying anything at all? What behaviors are important for us to address? Is the person that I'm raising my young people with seeing them as the same behaviors that are important to address? And you know that our perception of, of an adult behavior being appropriate is quite different to each other. And how often do we sometimes become socially unaware of what we are perceiving is the wrong behavior purely because we as a parent are concerned about judgment of what other people might be thinking of how our children are behaving. But if the way that the behaving relates to our family values, we have to find that balance. Because behavior is situational, right? And the context can be altered. And what I mean by that is that one thing that we accept in one place is totally unacceptable in another. And how does that allow consistency for our young people? You know, what's happening within ourselves as an, as, as an adult? We're having a good day, so we allow certain behaviors to happen. We're having a bad day, we snap down on them really quickly. Remember, the, 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 the way that we uh, role model is what we, should what we probably will uh, reciprocate. So, you know, I, I really encourage you to uh, continue to join in with these workshops as we move forward. And, you know, if we were if we were face-to-face, -face, you can imagine the energy that uh, we'd be having in the room and would be an opportunity we can we talk with each other. But, I, you know, I, I encourage us to be consistent in our approach and have that positive language and, and develop that questioning. There are times where we won't, but as long as we can, most of the time, then we're heading in that right direction. And the last thing, right, as we as we develop this community uh, approach, Tabla save the dates. And I've got another one coming up on the 16th of November. You know, a big part of it will be what, what are we doing in school and how do we transfer that. But you'll see from this approach, the second part is really about getting us to think as uh, adults, how does what they're doing at school, can that strengthen what I do at home? Can I take a little bit of that? Uh, term two, we'll look more around the um, what we'll be delivering in the uh, relationships and sexual education. I know there's a, a lot of questions there. And of course, we're going to be here to uh, develop 
those questions uh, and respond. And then term three, we'll be offering some more as well. Um, and we are open to feedback on how we can do that. I'm going to come out of this tab. Um, it's bang on seven o'clock. Uh, thank you for those of you that, that took time to turn up. I love that. Uh, six to seven. I, I don't know if it's the right time. I, I, I personally like it. Yeah. Is it Mrs. Christensen, were you trying to talk? Sorry. Um, Mr. Broderick, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for the amount of preparation and um, and care and thought that's gone into to this session today. It's been a really, really useful insight, not only into sharing with the parents everything that we're looking at with school within the character and culture policy, um, but also to help see how we um, can help support at home and build that common language between us all. So thank you so very much for, for your sharing your expertise. And thank you also to those of you who've commented on the chat um, and being brave enough to, to share. It's, it's made a massive difference. So thank you very much for your involvement. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Thank you very much. If you do have questions and you wanted to um, feel free to please email through to me um, and I'll get back to you and we could have a discussion. Um, I just really appreciate your time, everybody. Really, really grateful and keep well. Thank you. Yeah.